Friday, September 30th of 2022. It's the last day of September, and uh, it's New Year's Eve if you celebrate the federal fiscal year. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the last day of fiscal year 2022, which of course will actually be a talking point for this podcast. Sadly, today, this is the Chapter 49 podcast. Uh, We represent at Chapter 49 most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. We welcome you to our podcast. Very happy for uh, having you to join us once again. And joining us on the podcast, as always, Duncan Childs, Chapter President for NTEU Chapter 49. Welcome once again, Duncan. Hi, Larry. I'm surprised you don't have uh, streamers and party favors for the end of the uh, fiscal year. I actually <laughs> thought about it, but it's I'm just too cheap. But, you know, it's all right. <laughs> okay, I could have gone to the dollar store. Okay, I know that. Or, of course, you know, the dollar store is no longer $1. What is the dollar store? $1.10, $1.50? I don't know what it is. But they still Yeah, call plus it- the fact the end of the fiscal year is not a huge celebratory thing anyway since <laughs> – we can't drink on federal property, so, you know. Now, is that true for every – do executives, are they allowed to drink on federal property? Uh, no, they are not allowed to. Does that stop all of them? I'm not going to say, but well, they're not allowed to. It's uh, it's good that federal employees are not allowed to drink on the job. I'm afraid if they were, we'd be in big trouble. Uh, we have a lot of cause to do so, I'll tell you that. Well, just the – how should I put it? it? It's a tough, most jobs in the federal government or something. My dad worked for the Defense Department for, what, 35, 40 years, something like that. And I can tell you, I know a lot about the pressure he faced. And I began to understand that when I became an IRS manager, I said, okay, Dad, now I remember, now I know what was going on with you, uh, the pressure that I felt in that job. But we talked about this uh, being the last day of the fiscal year. What that means, of course, is that all of the uh, federal uh, money, the funds that fund the federal government, end on the last day of the fiscal year unless one of two things happen. One, budgets are passed. None have passed so far. I think six are out of the House, zero in the Senate so far. So budgets have not even come close to being passed and signed by the president. So the only alternative to keep the government running is something called a continuing resolution, which keeps the government running on last year's budget, which in an inflationary time is, of course, still a cut. But, you know, all agencies just have to deal with that, I guess. Uh, The hope is that uh, there will be a 10-week continuing resolution. We are recording this again in the morning, uh, early morning, about 9.30 in the morning Eastern time uh, on on, uh, September 30th. So as we speak at this moment, the House passed the continuing resolution of 10 weeks on Thursday. We expect the House to pass it on Friday, the day we record this. And Duncan, I think one of the greatest Uh, incentives for Congress to actually pass this on the day we record this is the fact that they're due to have a recess. They all want to go back home. Yeah, that's right. Before the uh, podcast, we talked about the Senate passing it and ready to get the heck out. And I'm sure the House is ready to do the same thing once they pass it. And it is it really is a shame that Congress's main job is to pass appropriations bills uh, to fund the government. And, you know, for the last well over a decade, they just can't seem to get this done. And so we go into these continuing resolutions, which, like you said, 
is basically a cut, especially in inflationary times. And, you know, it, there's a lot of uncertainty then about hiring, how can we budget stuff, things of that nature. And it's just not a good way to run an organization, much less the federal government. And, and the federal government is a big operation. It's bigger than many uh, major corporations in America in terms of number of people employed, the money that comes in and out. So uh, the continuing resolution as we speak today, and we, you know, we, don't, we never know when people are going to watch or hear a podcast. So we are recording this. Uh, where, as I speak at the moment, it's 9.38 a.m. Eastern Time. We expect a continuing resolution to be passed by the House uh, on the day we record this, and the president is poised to sign it quite quickly, as we understand it. Uh, most of the uh, arguments are over. They've finally decided on a continuing resolution everybody can agree on. It passed the Senate with like 70-some votes, and very few things ever passed the Senate with 70-some votes. So uh, that, And I expect the House will, will pass this and, and send it on to the president. So... Um, you know, there there could always be a last minute glitch. I, I'm fairly confident we'll get this done in time, and everybody will report to work on on Monday. Yeah, I'm at this point. I'm not concerned. You're always wary, but you're not concerned at this point that it won't get done. But it's just kicking the can uh, down the road to December 10th when the continuing resolution will end. So we are hoping that um, that they're able to get the budget details the omnibus because they're not going to pass individual bills they're going to put them in together into one or two very large bills uh and we're hoping that that gets passed by that december date so that agencies can have their funding for the year you know there's something in in, in the congress and I, i used to as i said i i was a news reporter for years and used to do talk shows and would interview members of Congress uh, many times. And I remember particularly Lee Hamilton, who a lot of people know from being a longtime member of the House in southeastern uh, Indiana, and then, of course, was, was one of the co-chairs of the 9-11 Commission. But when I would interview him, he would always talk about regular order. Regular order is when you, do, you pass each budget, you pass it in the uh, House, You pass it in the Senate. If there are disagreements, you go to a conference committee, work them out, and then pass the conference report in each house and then send it to the president. That's regular order. You just talked about an omnibus bill. Omnibus omnibus bill means you didn't get that done. And Unfortunately, Duncan, most years we don't have regular order, do we? No, we certainly do not. And like I said, that's basically Congress's main job is to get that taken care of. And, you know, when you had folks in Congress like uh, Congressman Hamilton who could sit down and have honest disagreements across the aisle but still get stuff done, that's the way it's supposed to work. And unfortunately, it hasn't worked that way for quite a long time. And we'll keep you posted at our Facebook page. It's Our Facebook page is NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana. Uh, just look it up there, and you can search... Uh, Facebook, or you can uh, just contact Duncan Giles. He'll send you a link if you have trouble finding it. We want to stay on budget-related matters. Uh, we've talked an awful lot. In fact, we talked with our national president, Tony Reardon, some weeks ago about this. And we, you and I have talked about it for an awful long time, that there is this measure in place, this law that has been passed, to uh, get 87,000 employees for the IRS. Now, that will 
once you take out the people expected to retire and, and quit the usual attrition, we're just really going to have just a few more than we have now. Uh, but it will help replenish like the 20,000 people that we have uh, positions, if you will, full-time equivalents is the way the government uh, describes these. Uh, it will really just kind of bring the IRS back up to where it was before uh, its budget was gutted. But we still have a lot of rhetoric going on, and there are certain people um, in positions of power in government who are saying that one of their key priorities will be to roll back the 87,000 IRS agents. First of all, they're not all agents. Some are, some aren't. Some are collection people. A lot of them are customer service people. The effort is to build that up. I know Secretary of the Treasury Yellen and Commissioner Ruddig have been promising Congress a much better service for, from the IRS to the public in the coming, um, in the coming uh, uh, tax year that will come up next year. In order to do that, IRS needs to have that money. So uh, when you hear this rhetoric, Duncan, how, should, how do you react and how do you think uh, people working for IRS should react? Um, it used to infuriate me. Now my eyes roll back so far in my head, I'm afraid they won't come back forward. Um, it's It really is just purely political rhetoric at this point. You know, if, if the folks in power don't want calls to be answered, don't want returns to be processed, don't want um, the folks that are getting away with uh, a lot of things they shouldn't be on our tax code, so they're not audited, don't want the proper amount of money collected because of people not paying their taxes that are owed. Okay, but that's going to be part of the problem. You can't continually kick us and say, well, you're not doing your job, you're not doing your job. Oh, now we're going to pull the funding that we promised you. We really don't need to be Charlie Brown and certain folks in uh, the political world being Lucy with the football when we're trying to kick it. You know, Duncan, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We have all these people in Congress and throughout government who always say that we need to follow the law. People need to obey the law. They seem to want to enforce every law except the tax law. Still does not make much sense to me. Yeah, and let's not forget who passes those laws. It's not the IRS. We're, we're enforcing the laws that Congress passes. So if they don't like the laws, then they need to change them. We'll be more than happy to go with however the law states. But we have to go with what's out there right now and do what we need to do to protect the American taxpayer. You know, some people get all upset about regulations. When IRS issues regulations, it's for one of two reasons normally. Number one, the actual statute says that the Treasury Secretary shall issue regulations. In other words, the statute says, the law says, IRS, you are expected to issue regulations to, to, to figure out how this is all going to work. Or the Congress passes a law and is silent on a number of issues, forcing the IRS to issue regulations. So I get a little upset when people talk about how IRS is some kind of out-of-control uh, bureaucracy. Look, I'm not saying it's IRS is perfect. We, you and I both have worked there long enough. I worked there long enough during my tenure. You're still there. Uh, we are far from perfect, and there are issues. But to say that uh, the regulations are off the, the IRS has somehow become a quasi-government in itself. That is simply 
not true in my opinion. What what do you think? I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is absolutely a falsehood when they say that, well, you know, we're going to have rogue people with guns breaking down doors, coming into your home, stealing your money, coming into your businesses, taking it away. Absolutely, positively not true. Couldn't do that if we wanted to. So that type of stuff is just infuriating to me. One other thing, Duncan, I think what happens with all this rhetoric and whether anything will happen as a result, just to be honest with you, is going to be determined by the results of the election uh, in November 8th. Now, I don't want to make this a political podcast. Some people do listen while they're working. Not everybody can listen to a podcast while they work. Some people can, depending on the type of job they have. So I want to make sure that this podcast is one you can legitimately listen to while you're working. So we don't want to cross that line into politics. But I think it's fair to say that the results of the election will have an impact on what happens with all this rhetoric. I don't see how it can't have an impact. Um, you know, it, there's there's going to be changes. There always are every two years and especially every four years. Um, so there are going to be changes. How much that changes is going to impact us and the money that we sorely need. So it's it's going to be a uh, an interesting time. And as always, I advise folks, you know, get out and vote if they, you know, I'm not telling them who to vote for. I just want everybody to vote and make your voice heard and your opinion heard. You know, Duncan, we just talked about uh, about funding for the government, about the end of the fiscal year, continuing resolutions. I hate to bring back another ugly issue that has been around for a number of years, and that can was kicked down the road again. Next year, it is it is projected that the Congress will once again need to raise the debt ceiling failure to do so, and we've talked about this before, and it's not our opinion, it's the opinion of Nobel Prize winning economists throughout the world, that if the United States ever fails to raise the debt ceiling, there would be catastrophic results all around the world, and that's one of those things that once you do it, it's almost impossible to undo it. You've You've done something and, and set a precedent that uh, investors will remember and people who, who issue bonds throughout the world and in the U.S. will remember. So we're hoping that, you know, again, maybe the election outcome might have an impact on that. But it is projected now that sometime in 2023, the Congress will once again have to raise that debt ceiling. So we just want to make people aware that it can happen. Just brace yourself. So that's coming in, in the months to come. Yeah, and an important thing to remember about the debt ceiling is this is to pay bills that have already been appropriated. You know, this is not new money or anything like that. This is just to raise the debt so we can pay bills that have already been committed. You know, and to basically, to me, if you're saying that, oh, I want to let the debt ceiling lapse, that's like saying, okay, I'm going to fix this vehicle by driving it over a cliff. Yeah, you'll fix the vehicle. It'll be dead. You'll be dead, and it'll be in ruins. But, yeah, you won't have to worry about it anymore. It's just a solution that is, as you mentioned, with the economists and things of that nature, so horrific that nobody that takes this seriously really wants to contemplate because it would just be bad for everyone. 
and and you make a good point. This is just a matter of paying bills we've already uh, for, for what we've already bought, what we spent, and we just we're paying that that uh, now. It's not like we're adding new spending in any way. A, you know, a budget might do that. A debt ceiling is just paying the bills that are due. So uh, it would be a deadbeat America. We don't want to do that. But uh, we want to just give people a kind of a preview that this is possibly coming, and uh, we just want to let you know that uh, let, let's hope we don't make this another political football. And, and both parties have done this in the past, to be to be quite honest about it. Yeah, it's just one of those things we just want to avoid. Uh, we have some good news, and I do want to make sure we have some good news on this podcast as much as we can. Uh, the IRS student loan repayment program, there is a lot of good news there. There are people who've been working for the IRS or maybe other government agencies. Uh, maybe they've worked for IRS and other agencies before. Some of these people, through their public service, may be eligible uh, to get some of their uh, student loans repaid. You know, I keep hearing these stories of people in their 60s and 70s who die and their estates have to deal with student loan debt. That's just incredible to think of, but it, these these situations actually have been documented. So uh, if you're working for IRS in particular or any government agency generally, uh, what about the student loan program, particularly as it implies to IRS employees? Yeah, this is something that um, it goes back to 2007 uh, that we had – been trying to get the IRS on board. We as NTEU had been trying to get IRS on board. Well, they finally now briefed us and said they're ready to go. Nothing like a 15-year tune-up. Um, they're going to go to, these will go to people who are in, quote, hard-to-fill positions, unquote. What are hard-to-fill positions? Well, in my mind, it's every freaking job we apparently have, except for analyst and executive. Um but for you know, we don't know yet. They have told us they're going to give us they're going to give National NTU that list of jobs. We have not seen it yet. But if you're you know in one of these hard to fill jobs and you have this debt and you make a commitment to stay around, you know at least three more years in the federal government, you could get up to ten thousand dollars a year paid from your student loan debt. So it can be something. That's very good if you meet all the qualifications, which are still to come and be ironed out. Okay, let me make sure I get this straight. What you're saying is taken 15 years for the IRS to say they're ready to bargain over this. And in addition, they say it'll only apply to hard to fill for hard to fill positions, which up to this point, the service has still not told you what those positions are. Not even exactly bargain because this went to the Federal Services Impasse Panel in 2007. And the panel ruled in favor of the IRS at that time and said, okay, the IRS can implement what their final offer was. And then it just dropped it for 15 years. So we'll be bargaining uh, impact and implementation over it, over what the IRS is going to do once they give us the full details. And then, it um, again, it's only for those hard-to-fill positions. People who commit to being here are fully successful in their evaluations, things like that. So that's even more incredible than what I first thought. So what you're telling me is that IRS and NTU went to the impasse board. And for people who don't know, the federal impasse board is the final say, unless you go to court, 
over whether uh, issues can be bargained, and it really deals with those sorts of issues. And as you said, ruled in favor of the IRS, said, okay, IRS, you can implement this on your own without bargaining. And then they didn't even implement it. That's the part that, that just doesn't make sense to me. That's why I'm amazed I don't drink every single night, things like this. And why you're not allowed to drink on the job, as we mentioned before. There you go. Uh, there, <laughs> so we, we will, uh, we'll keep you posted on this. We think it's a great benefit if it ever comes around. And impact and implementation bargaining, it can be important. So uh, as things move along, you know, we will certainly hear on this podcast and through our Facebook page let you know what's happening. There's something else that uh, relates to retirement. And you, you made me aware of this the other day. It's called the GRB platform. Explain what that's all about. Yeah, for IRS employees who are looking to do retirement calculations or actually put in their retirement papers, this is where you go to start this process to get this done. Um, so that's it's online now. Uh, mostly electronic, those types of things. So that's that's what the GRB platform is. So when you hear about that, um, that's that's where it is. You set up your account, get a password, and go in there, and you can um, the calculations can be pretty interesting. And it's nothing like having yet one more acronym at the IRS. We just don't. We never have enough. <laughs> GRB is the latest one. So at least now you know what it means. It means you go there to start your retirement process. And as you said, Duncan, uh, you need to start that process at least six months ahead of time, correct? Well, now it's even more. Um, I was alerted to this by a member and went on there, and I think I shared the statement with you because it was just something I looked at, and I was like, oh, I've got to copy and paste this. Um. Basically, what this statement said was, just so you know, if you are looking to retire, it's going to take us two months to process your paperwork. It's going to take OPM five months to process your paperwork. So before you even get an interim payment, it could take seven months. So So you should have seven months worth of savings built up. And I was looking at that like, you know, you know. The best, the best, you know, the comments that everybody has are who has seven months worth of savings built up? Not a whole lot of people. So let's make sure we are clear here, because in the past, when you and I've talked about this, we were warning people that when you apply and you retire, that you'll get this lower um, amount of annuity each month until the final annuity is computed, then you get your back annuity, and then you get your actual annuity. So you do, we were talking then about just being able to live off of a lower annuity. What you're talking about here is seven months of no annuity. Am I getting that right? That's the way it read to me. And when they're talking about have seven months of savings, now I'm hoping that that's a uh, maximum type thing and that most employees will have a much shorter turnaround time. But, you know, I just want everybody to be aware that, you know, if you're retiring at the end of the year and you're just putting in your paperwork now, guess what? You better be prepared to ride it out for quite a while. Well, you know, I know we all have problems and you and I have talked about many on this podcast series and today, but I don't think, uh, we should, be too worried about our own problems because I have been watching the news coverage 
from Florida and a few other places now. This has just been an awful tragedy for people living in Florida. There are a number of IRS employees that, of course, live in Florida and work in Florida. Many have retired to Florida who used to work in Indiana and other places. Um, And now what we're seeing is the aftermath of this terrible storm, one of the worst to ever hit Florida. They've had some bad ones. There is a group called FEA, F-E-E-A, and this is an organization that tries to help federal employees when they're facing an emergency like a hurricane. And, uh, Duncan, you and I have been familiar with what uh, FEA, F-E-E-A, does. And uh, very soon we'll be sending out information to people through our Facebook page, and I'm sure you'll be uh, sending out messages to the membership and anyone who might uh, be interested uh, that NTEU has always worked together with that nonprofit group to try to help federal employees in need. And we know people will be in need in the state of Florida. Yeah, it, the FIA does great work. And it is going to be absolutely, like you said, needed in Florida. There are an awful lot of impacted people. Um, you know, our former chapter vice president, Susan Wright, who's now a national vice president, district vice president, sent me a photo uh day before yesterday at that night uh showing she's got a she and her husband have a place down in florida and showing me where their boat is i visited their house so i knew exactly where it was um their dock and their back porch are totally underwater um it came right up to the edge of their house so you know the the hurricane's impact and the rain and the surges, the water surges that are there have been tremendous and done untold damage. The scenes I'm seeing from Fort Myers have just been horrific. Uh, so there's, there's an awful lot of damage out there and my heart goes out to uh, the folks down there and people who have relatives or friends down there. I hope everyone is okay. And it's just something that, um, you know, We'll, like I said, National will be sending out information on how we can help um, help these folks down there once it's all set up and ready to go, which should be in very short order. Right. So uh, you'll be hearing about it from us, from the National Union, mm-hmm. and uh, from many other sources. And if you have the ability to do so and want to help your brothers and sisters in the federal service, uh, this is a great way to do that when they are badly in need. Okay, Duncan, time for our final comments. Um, I'd just like to take a moment, you know, and I've, I've done this on uh, Facebook a little bit. Uh, someone who has been very, very important and advocate for federal employee issues and given information out about federal employees for decades just passed away. A gentleman by the name of Mike Causey. Um, Mike used to work for decades for the Washington Post, then moved to... Um, you know, different private sector and ended up Federal News Network where he did radio shows and a weekly column. And his basic thing was he just wanted to help inform federal employees, let them know what was going on, best dates to retire. He would have people on and talk to them about, you know, things like retirement, TSP, um, all sorts of things that might impact employees. I, I got to know Mike some. I would say he was more than an acquaintance, less than a friend, somewhere in the middle of that. Um, we talked on the phone. We exchanged emails. I was able to meet him once. 
Uh, he was, we shared a common background, both being from Indianapolis and he was just a genuinely good man. I mean, he was just a nice guy, really cares about federal employees. And, you know, he died at 82 at his desk. That's how dedicated he was. And by all accounts, and I've talked to a couple of people that he is working with now, worked with now at uh, Federal News Network, and they said that's exactly the way he would want to go is working at his desk trying to help. And I truly believe that. So it's it's I, I, I mourn for him and I mourn for someone who was advocating for us. He's one of those men that just never, ever retired. You know, uh, and, and the fact that he literally died at his desk is not a surprise to me. And he does have ties to Indianapolis that I was aware of. Never met the man, but was a big fan of him as a consumer of his products. I don't know if it's it's almost impossible to explain what this is like. But Mike Causey, when he worked at the Washington Post, he wrote a, a column six days a week. He was in there like Monday through Saturday. That's unheard of in the journalism business. When you write a column with all of the work you have to put into it and checks you have to make and editors going back and forth with you, it is hard to get one done. And, and you know, a lot of these columnists have one every few days. Well, Mike Causey, at one point in his career early, wrote six columns, one a day, Monday through Saturday. Just an amazing feat that anybody who knows anything about journalism, particularly print journalism, knows how hard a worker he was to be able to get that done. And it goes back to what you said. He was devoted to the fact that he his job was to inform people who work for the federal government. And you know, the federal government has a large number of employees in D.C., but he also knew that you know you you could subscribe to the post outside of DC and when the internet came we could all read him uh, so i i just remember those days of the uh, washington post federal page which was devoted to federal workers and his work was central to what was on that page um, and he also had he did some radio work you know he worked at, i think it's wtop radio that's connected to the federal news network and he was uh, doing podcasts i think he was work, working on a podcast when he passed away so uh, he's a man that will be remembered, and it will be very hard to fill his shoes. There are people trying to do that at Federal News Network and other places, but uh, it will be difficult to do so uh, to replace the institutional memory that uh, was Mike Causey. That's all I have, Duncan. Uh, anything else uh, before we wrap it up? No, I just hope everyone has a good and safe weekend, and uh, let's let's keep moving forward. And hoping that we'll be all at work on Monday with a past <laughs> funding. Yes, with all the money and ready to go and paying everybody. And we don't get into this, you have to go to work with no pay thing. But we always have a few of those, sadly. But uh, no, we uh, thank you, Duncan. Thank you all for watching and listening. Once again, this is a podcast Duncan and I have produced now for over two and a half years. And there's only one reason we go to the trouble of doing this. Myself as a volunteer and Duncan spending time uh, that he can use as chapter president of a local chapter. We do this because people listen and people watch and we get many comments about this podcast. So we appreciate every single one. We thank you for being part of the audience and you are the reason that we continue uh, to produce this podcast. So we wish you all well. 
And uh, we'll all wish you uh, a good weekend. If you're listening on the Friday, we record this. And please be safe and be kind. <laughs>